to prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for that love that we can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that you really love us. Father, because of that love, Father, we are called the children of God because we placed our faith and trust in your Son, who was a demonstration of your love on the cross. And now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that we might see your love and realize that you deserve all our praise for who you are and what you have done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning? Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to, again, look at these few verses that we just read. Verses 10 to 16. Hebrews 13, and we'll pick it up at verse 10. <clears throat> so, by the way, before we read this, uh, just to understand the context, that the writer of Hebrews has been trying to, to present the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice, and basically trying to show the reader that the Old Testament sacrifices are needed no more, for they were just but a picture of what was to come, Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. And so this becomes uh, a spiritual message concerning uh, our worship to the Lord as we come spiritually to uh, the heavenly tabernacle and to offer the Lord our sacrifices. So verse 10, he says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. And again, he's talking now about the spiritual tabernacle. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Okay, and that, that's a key right there for what we are about to read. That he's talking about what the high priest had to do uh, on the Day of Atonement. When people would bring a peace offering, they'd bring their offering. And the, uh, the offering was made, but the burning of it would be outside the camp. That's significant in just a moment, you'll see. Verse 12, therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Do you see the comparison here? The Hebrew writer here, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the physical tabernacle where uh, the high priest would offer the sin sacrifice. He would take the blood to the mercy seat and sprinkle it on. But the burning of the sacrifice would be outside the camp. The suffering of the animal, the killing of the animal would be outside the camp, not in the tabernacle. And that's significant because of, of it's a picture of Christ. Verse 12, because Jesus, that he might sanctify people through his blood, what did he do? He suffered outside the gate. And if you go to Jerusalem today, and some of you have no doubt taken trips there in the past, some tours, uh, I've had the joy of being there a number of times. 
But if you go to what is considered Golgotha, the Mount Calvary, where Jesus supposedly, they believe Jesus uh, died on, uh, you will find that Golgotha is outside the old original uh, city walls. So they, archaeological evidence shows that it is outside the city walls. And so when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified outside Jerusalem, again, as, as fulfilling the prophecy and the picture, the symbolism of the Old Testament, when the high priest, they would sacrifice the animal outside uh, the, the, the tabernacle and then bring in the blood and lay it on the mercy seat. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He took his own blood and presented it to the Father on the heavenly tabernacle for you and for me. And so a once for all sacrifice was made. And then verse 13. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Here the writer is telling us that you and I, because Jesus paid the price, we ought to go outside the camp and recognize the suffering that he made for us on that cross, that we too must go outside the camp and be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And it, it seems like uh, it's harder and harder to find a believer who's willing to really suffer for the sake of Christ in front of the world. Because we're too afraid of what the world's going to think. And so uh, we, we kind of get silent and we don't want to do uh, suffer. We want the easy life, the comfortable life. And then we get home to heaven. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us, no, the Lord would want us to go outside the camp to see him on the cross and be ready to receive reproaches for his name, just like he received reproaches for us. So we must for him. Why? Verse 14. For here we do not have a lasting city here on earth, but we are seeking the city which is to come, the heavenly city. Now verse 15 and 16, and this is where we're going to focus our attention. Through him then, Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We want to focus on that Phrase right there in verse 15. He says, then through Christ, let us do something. What are we to do? Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, what is a sacrifice of praise to God? They seem diametrically opposed to each other. You basically wouldn't put sacrifice with praise. But here, when we're talking about what we as believers are supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to act, God is asking for us to give the sacrifice 
of praise. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, we see it translated sacrifice of thanksgiving. King James uses that. Or the thank offering or thanksgiving offering. And again, it, it is a picture of <clears throat> the Old Testament when they would bring the offering and they would bring the, their, their, their sacrifice to the Lord and they would give it as a thank offering to the Lord for forgiving their sins, for covering their sins. And we have different references, though, to a thank offering which is not connected to the physical tabernacle. Because uh, Psalm 50, David wrote, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and pay your vows to the Most High, and call upon him in the day of trouble, and I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. And then Psalm 116, To thee I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and call upon the name of the Lord. We've got numerous verses that talk about the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. Now, when we talk about praise, that is exactly what we're doing this morning. You came to worship the Lord. And you came to praise Him. You wanted to give thanks to him and glorify him through your praise. And that's what we just did through our singing. What did we do? We gave praise to our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes when things are going well and we have bountiful blessings that we've seen God give us, it's easy to sit around the table like on Thanksgiving Day and say, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful food. Thank you for the family you give me, the house over our head, all the things that you've given, we thank you. And so we give thanks, we give praise to the Lord. But then there comes the time when we go out there. And you'll be going out this week. And suddenly you will find the reproach of the world. Suddenly you will find distress, the fiery trial which awaits you. Some of you have already experienced that and are going through it. The trial, maybe the worst trial of your life. And you're trying to deal with the pain and trying to come to grips with it all. If it's the word cancer and they tell you it's stage four. Or you've lost your job. Or perhaps suddenly divorce is now part of your family. Maybe it's a wayward child who's gone away from the Lord and your heart is broken and you don't know what to do. And so we cry out to the Lord. We cry out and when Satan comes and he's going to come at us because of the spiritual battle, the spiritual forces that we uh, are up against that we are told of in scripture that you and I, we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against other powers, principalities, forces of darkness. And they are coming after you in your weakness. And they'll come at you in different ways. And what 
Satan wants to do. He wants to get you so discouraged and get me so discouraged that I don't have any praise. That I, I, don't, I can't find praise in my heart. When things are going well, yes, I praise you, Lord. But then suddenly when things go wrong and suddenly the worst happens, can I really give God praise then? This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It's the sacrifice of praise. And David understood this. It comes, this sacrifice of praise is a choice. You and I must choose, <coughs> excuse me, you and I must choose to praise him in all circumstances. It doesn't matter what it is, but I must make the choice that I have to look at him and my eyes are fixed on Christ and I understand who he is and what he's done for me, that he has not forsaken me. God has not forsaken me and I, I'm standing on the promises of God. Reminds me of that song, standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. And as we stand on those promises, that is when my heart can find uh, a way to praise the Lord. And when I give praise, it, when I am in pain, when I am in suffering, when I am going through loss, whatever it is, when I choose to praise the Lord, that is then called a sacrifice of praise. Because you are sacrificing the praise because of the pain, the suffering that you are going through. The sacrifice of praise. Throughout Scripture, we see pictures of this. We see examples of this. One, of course, is Paul and Silas. Do you remember Paul and Silas? Chained up in prison, right? In, in the book of Acts. And as there in chapter 16, uh, they were chained up for preaching the gospel. They're in the prison. They're suffering for Christ. What do they do? What do they do? They started to sing. <laughs> they started to sing. How in the world can they have a song in their heart at a time like that? <coughs> Excuse me. You know, the world can't comprehend that because the world doesn't look at, their, at, at that time, a time of suffering, as a time to do any praising or thanking the Lord. But they praised the Lord. They sang him, hymns. And as soon as they started to sing, what happened? The walls began to shake. And suddenly the chains fell off. The earthquake came. And suddenly they were set free and God intervened. And God demonstrated his power so that he might get the glory through Paul and Silas. And it came to the, to the point where the jailer turns to Paul and Silas. He'd heard them singing in the midst of their suffering. And what does he do when he sees the power of God? He sees that these people, these two men were, were, were singing praise to their God and their God just freed them. He comes to them and he says, what must I do to be what? Saved. What must I do to be saved? Here is another beautiful example. K. 
Can I find praise in my heart to the Lord when I am going through the dark valley? When I can't see what's ahead and I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what the end result is of what I'm going through. I must understand that the Lord is with me and he has given me the strength and he will give me the power to go through whatever he allows to come my way. The illustration uh, that comes to mind is one of them is uh, on Thanksgiving Day, we went to Philly to be with my side of the family. So we kind of get all the family that's down there in Philly and the surrounding areas. And we get together at one of our, uh, the homes, uh, we were at our aunt's home and, uh, we, we, we all gathered together. Weren't sure if my brother Bevan and his wife Betts were going to be there. They wanted to be there, but it last week he just, he met, went to the doctor, doctor did some labs and his kidneys were working at 19% functional well they dropped quickly to 17 percent and the doctor says if you get to 15 percent you get to the hospital and we got to get you on dialysis and so his creatinine level was going up that's not a good sign they're going to do a biopsy tomorrow on monday uh, on the on his kidneys they wonder if the cancer has has gone to the kidneys They've had to, they, after that, they had to stop his immunotherapy treatments, which is the one thing that has been keeping his cancer from spreading throughout his body. Again, he has stage four bladder cancer. And so here suddenly we show up and who comes walking through the door but my brother Bevan and his wife. And we were just so elated and thanking God. And as we sat around the table, you know, uh, we went around the table. Everybody gave something to, they are thankful for. When it came to him, he said, I'm thankful for my dear wife right here, who's been with me through all this and just praised her. And while tears ran down her face. After the dinner, I, I was sitting with Bevan and we were just talking. I just wanted special time alone with him to see how he was doing spiritually through all this emotionally. And he said, you know, Larry, he said, it's been tough because it just seems like as soon as I turn the corner, we're going down farther. It gets worse. He says, I don't know what God has planned, but he said, but recently this past week, God gave me a Psalm. Psalm 112. If you turn with me to it, would you? Let's go to Psalm 12 together. He said, this is the psalm he's been, been meditating upon. And the Lord has been speaking to his heart through this in all his suffering. Psalm 112. If you'll read with me. <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. That first verse is the key to the whole psalm. 
because the, the psalm is going to talk about the person who fears the Lord, seeks to obey him, to live for him, to reverence the Lord in his life, and then delights in his word, delights in the word of God and trying to keep and obey it. So it is that kind of man that then is described the rest of the way in this psalm. Verse 2, his descendants, and this is the man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. That meant a lot to him. He said that I know in my darkness the light of Christ will arise no matter how dark it gets. He is gracious and compassionate, compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be, what? Shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. And then he said, it is verse 7 that he has clung to. Verse 7, look at verse 7. He, the righteous man, the man who fears God and loves his commandments, loves his word. Verse 7, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is upheld, he will not fear. There in verse 7, when he says, he will not fear evil tidings, you may have a version that says, basically, he will not fear bad news. Have you had bad news lately? If you're a child of God this morning, though you receive that bad news, something wonderful. If we are trusting in the Lord as the man who fears God does, when the bad tidings come, he will not be afraid. And my Bevan said to me, he says, he says that's the key. That's what I found. I got the bad news. I continue to get bad news. Bad, you know, evil tidings are coming to me. But God has taken away my fear because I am trusting in Him. I am trusting in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to see me through. And I know He's got a hold of me and He's not going to let go. This was so powerful to me. It touched my heart so deeply. And then Bevan shared with me, he said on Sunday, he couldn't go to church, but he was able to watch the streaming of it. Uh, Bevan said, my pastor said, gave this phrase, and it stuck with me. Trust God's plan, but also trust God's processes. Trust God's plan, 
but also trust God's processes in your life. Right now, God is processing you in some way, somehow. Just like he did Job, he is processing you through the fire. He's burning off the dross and all the things that, that, that defile us. And he wants to bring you out, bring you forth as what? Gold. As gold. Purified in the fire. And that will happen if I am trusting in him alone. It is then that I need not fear what is to come. Turn to Psalm, while we're in the Psalms, turn to Psalm 51. If you would, go over to Psalm 51 with me, verse 15. Psalm 51 is a psalm of penitence. King David wrote this after Nathan had, had come to him and called him out on his sin with Bathsheba. Okay, so he calls him out. And so now this is a, he, David recognizes his sin. He's confessing his sin and he's, he's asking for God to be merciful and gracious to him. As he's asking God to forgive him. But look down at verse 15. Psalm 51, verse 15. Now remember the circumstances behind this. David just greatly sinned, and there are consequences that he's going to have to face because of his sin. Yet, verse 15, in spite of what, is, what God may have to do to discipline him or the consequences of David's sin, he says this, verse 15. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare thy, what? Praise. Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare thy praise. His heart is broken. He doesn't know if he can be restored. But he's asking God, open my mouth, that I may declare thy praise. For thou dost not delight in sacrifice, physical good doings, Otherwise, I would give it. Thou, dost not, thou art not pleased with burnt offerings. But verse 17, the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit. A broken and contrite spirit, O God, thou wilt not despise. God is looking for you and I to come to him with brokenness. He wants me to come with a contrite spirit, with such humility, bow before him and say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't go any farther. Lord, I need you to help me. And Lord, I come to you with a broken spirit. But I ask you, Lord, in my time of need, that you might put praise on my lips. That's what he's asking, that he might put praise on on our lips. Turn with me to Second Chronicles now. I want you to see a story in the Old Testament. We go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. <coughs> this, this account has been such a blessing to me personally through the years. But it's the story of Israel and Jehoshaphat, a righteous king. 
But now he is suddenly up against innumerable odds. Look at verse 1 and 2. 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, now here's the bad, the, the bad, bad, bad news, the evil tidings coming to Jehoshaphat. Someone came, ran to him and says, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea and out of Aram. And behold, they are in Gehazah Tamor, that is in Gedi. A great multitude. That, and he's saying, they're close. They're getting close. This was a numerous amount of of. of of enemies, that soldiers that were coming to destroy Israel. And Jehoshaphat had to do something. He knew it was not within his power to go out there and win this battle. <coughs> so, what do we find him do? Verse 3. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. Did you know that it's okay to be afraid in your life? initially that's a natural human reaction to be afraid when the news comes and that's okay but the lord wants to take away that fear and calm our spirit as we do what jehoshaphat does yes he's afraid but what does he do joshua jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to see how many soldiers he had in the army. No, to turn his attention to how many swords and shields they had to fight the battle. No. How many horses? No. How many chariots? No. What did he do? He turned his attention to seek the Lord. He sought the Lord. And then he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. And Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Nowhere else but from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Can you imagine? They're just following suit with what their king is doing. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, Now what does he do? He offers a prayer to the Lord. He, he goes to prayer. O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? Art thou not ruler of all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against thee. What's he doing? He's telling the Lord how great he is. He's telling the Lord, I know how great you are. And that's why I've come to you. I'm seeking you, Lord, in my battle. In this battle we, of the, we are about to face. Verse 7. Did, didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they lived in it and have built thee a sanctuary there for thy names, saying, 
Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee. For thy name is in this house and cry to thee in our distresses and thou wilt hear and thou wilt deliver us. He's looking back at, at how the people of Israel would call upon the Lord when trouble came. And now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou didst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Behold, how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from thy possession, which thou hast given us as an inheritance. O God, wilt thou not judge them? And here is his confession, verse 12. And this is where you and I have to get. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Picture it. The whole uh, nation of Israel standing there. All the families together holding their children as this wicked army is coming to destroy them. And Jehoshaphat says, we have no power. We have no strength to fight this battle. So they come to the Lord and they are seeking the Lord. And this is the moment where he is beginning to praise God. Even though the battle has not begun yet. But it is about to. And so what does he do then? At that point, look what happens verse 14. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of uh, uh, Madaniah, the Levite of the Psalms of Asaph. So this is a prophet, okay? So he's coming with, and he has something to say. He's bringing a message from the Lord now. So now God is going to speak through his word to Jehoshaphat and the people. Verse 15. And he said, listen all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. And my friend, this morning, this is for you. You came here with a fearful heart, maybe. And you don't know what's, what's waiting for you out there. But you can leave here praising the Lord, giving Him the sacrifice of praise, and just trusting Him to work things out in your life. So what does He say? Here, listen to this. Jehoshaphat, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. The bad news. For the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow you will go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. I love verse 17. You need not fight in this battle. 
How many of you have been fighting your battle? You've been, you, you, you've been trying to do it in your own strength. You have the battle before you and you're trying to fix it. You're trying to handle it as best you can. But God's trying to say, just stand there. It's not your battle. It's mine. It's the Lord's. And so he says, you need not fight in this battle, but what? Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. My dear Christian, the Lord is with you as you leave here today. He will go before you. And he just wants you to stand and see his salvation as he comes to your rescue. How he's going to do it, only he knows. But you must trust in him. And so this word came out to Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. Look at his response in verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. There it is. Nothing's happened yet. They haven't, the enemy is still coming. His circumstances haven't changed. But what has he chosen to do? He's chosen to fall on his face and worship the Lord along with the people. Oh, that we might do the same. Though we don't have answers yet for our battle out there, that we might fall on our face and say, Lord, I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to give you the sacrifice of praise for who you are, that I'm going to trust your promises that you've got me. You have a hold of me. And the Levites from the sons of Zolothites, of the Zolothites, and of the sons of the Korites, stood up to praise the Lord of Israel with a very loud voice. So they worshiped him. And now they're ready to go out to battle. They arose early in the morning, verse 20, and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets. In other words, the word of God. <coughs> and you will succeed. And when he had consulted, verse 21, with the people. Look what he did. He appointed those who sang to the Lord. And those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army. And they said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambush against the sons of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. God routed them. So that the sons of Ammon, Moab, rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. And what did they do? They just began destroying each other completely. The enemy turned on each other. God made them fight each other. So that the rest of verse 24, they were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. And Israel just had to stand to see the salvation of the Lord. My dear friends, tonight, to today, this is 
our answer to the battle that is out there. That we would pray, that we would worship the Lord, listen to His Word, claim His promises, and then go out with praise in our heart and on our lips. You know, as you see this, he called the singers out to go before the army into battle. That would be like us going out to battle, and we'd have to say, Janine, choir, okay, you guys are first. Yeah, yeah, they're out there, and uh, you, go, you go ahead and sing in front of us, okay? We'll, we'll back you up. You know, we, we the church, we got our swords and everything, we'll back you up. I can only imagine what it would be like for Janine and the choir, you know, but, but that's what they did. They put the choir out front and said, let's go. Because it's not in our power, it's not in our strength, it's in the strength of the Lord God. And he's your God. This same God is your God and my God. Let us choose. Remember, the sacrifice of praise is a choice. And I today must choose to praise him. No matter what. Let's pray together. As we close this morning before the Lord. Dear Christian. The battle is in front of you. The enemy is there. And you sense. He is all around. The Lord says to you. He says to you now. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be not dismayed. Do not fear. For the Lord your God is with you. Dear Christian, would you take that promise now to your heart? And just tell the Lord, say, Lord, I want to give you the sacrifice of praise in my life as I leave here. And all this week that I might praise you. And give you glory and honor. And that through my lips of praise and my heart of praise, you will receive it as a sacrifice. And you will go before me and fight my battle. Would you do that, Christian? Do it right now. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to open your heart and receive the Lord Jesus as your very own personal Savior. He died on that cross for you. Shed his blood to purchase you. That you might be forgiven of your sins and you could become part of the family of God. If you've never done that, you've never asked Christ to be your Savior. And you're not sure you're going to heaven, but you want to be sure. And you want to now accept Christ by faith to save you. Pray with me. Pray a simple prayer like this. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ this morning, you are now a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been robed in the righteousness of Christ. And we want to welcome you to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, 
for the precious promises you've given us this morning. Help us to be willing to choose to give you the sacrifice of praise and believe that you go before us, behind us, beside us, and in us. And the battle is yours. And we will wait and trust you. And we thank you for the outcome as we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.